Hello and welcome to the Real Rice Podcast, your intro into famous Asian cinema under the modern lens of Asian Canadians. I'm your host, Raymond, and joining me here are my two fellow co-hosts, Brian and Jackie. Hey yo. Hey guys. For our first episode, we'll be reviewing the 2003 Korean thriller film, Old Boy. What would you do to your worst enemy? Stab him through the heart? Rip their eyes out with your bare hands? Or maybe lock them up in a prison for years without telling them? Why? That is what happened to Dai Su, an average Korean businessman who spent a drunken night in detention at a police station until he was bailed out by a friend. Unfortunately, his bad luck didn't end there. While heading back, he was abducted and escorted to a private hotel where he spent the next 15 years. He is kept in reasonably comfortable room with all the necessities available to him and a TV to keep him company. But no matter how hard he struggles and fights, no one would ever tell him why he was locked up there in the first place. While watching the TV, he discovers that his wife was murdered, and he is the main suspect in the case. Years go by until Daisu is suddenly woken up atop of a roof across from a man who's about to jump to his death. Now Daisu is free and on a quest to seek his vengeance. Okay, so before we get into our review, we're going to start off with some info about the movie and the general consensus. Once again, this is a Korean thriller film released in 2003, directed by Park Chan-wook, starring Choi Min-sik as Oh Do-sai, Yoo Jae-tai as Lee Woo-jin, and Kang Hyo-jun as Mido. It was based on a Japanese manga of the same name by Garan Tsuchiya and illustrated by Nobuaka Mingashi. It's also part of the Vengeance trilogy, firstly by Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy being the second installment, and lastly by Lady Vengeance. This film has won multiple awards across many film festivals, some highlights being the Grand Prix winner of the 2004 Cannes Film Fest, with high praise from Quentin Tarantino, and Best 2004 Korean Film at the Korean Film Awards. Roger Ebert, professional film critic at the time, had this to say about the film. In its sexuality and violence, this is the kind of movie that can no longer easily be made in the United States. The standards of puritanical minority imposed on broadcasting and threatening even for cable make studios unwilling to produce films that might face uncertain distribution. But content is not what makes a movie good or bad. It is merely what it is about. Old Boy is a powerful film, not because of what it depicts, but because of the depths of the human heart which it strips bare. General consensus, 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb, 82% critic score and 94% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, 77 critic score and 86% audience score on Metacritic. Our verdict? Our consensus is about 7.8 out of 10. Generally, we found the movie to be thrilling and capture our attention from beginning to end. We enjoyed it quite a bit and would recommend it to anyone who enjoys thrillers with plot twists. The fight and gore scenes were very well done by the actors. Plus, the music and cinematography really captured the raw emotions of the scene. We found the plot was not as enticing as critics said it to be, and the CGI, although used sparingly, was quite outdated by today's standards. Lastly, the twist was a bit too cliche, once again by today's standards, mainly because things that were novel at the time had become commonly used in Western media. The film was quite a trendsetter back in the early 2000s, but nowadays... It's a bit lacking. 
as a warning, this movie has grotesque scenes of gore, violence, and nudity. This film is definitely not friendly family and was not made with children in mind. Be prepared to be sickened and recoil in pain by many scenes within this film. Viewer discretion is advised. Alright, and with that out of the way, let's get into the discussion. Keep in mind, this will be a spoiler-filled review. So make sure to pause the podcast right now if you want to watch the movie and get in the discussion. I personally found that this script was amazing. Like, solid script, and every moment and scene was used very efficiently and creatively. What do you about you guys? So, personally, I felt it actually to be a little lacking. Like, at first when you're watching it, you're like, oh, what's going on? You know, what is the point of everything? But as you kind of sit down and actually try to reflect on the film, I did feel that there was a lot of plot holes. I think one big thing for me was there was a scene in the middle where uh, he was giving a trigger. It's like, oh, yeah, you hit this button. Like, my heart will stop beating. But what if he did hit the trigger? What, what if he actually did just kill the guy at the spot? Like, what happens? It's, there was a lot of, like, hoops the characters had to jump through. But it doesn't really add to the plot. Um, I felt like the purpose of that was to kind of demonstrate what type of like protagonist he is. It's kind of his way of saying, I'm going to go through all these hurdles just to kind of make the main character's life harder. Just to show like, oh, I'm willing to do anything to just get to you. And then if I want to end myself, I would do it too. Yeah, I think... There was a point where he's saying, like, the antagonist was saying, like, oh, you know, I choose my own fate and I want to, like, be in controls of yours, too. But at the same time, I felt the movie had a lack of things like, oh, what if something else happened? Like, there was a lot of things that were unexplained. Like, why even play with that trigger? Like, why even give him that choice and then that trigger to be fake in the end? It's, I think there was a theme with it, but I felt it just added extra things to the plot and just trying to be more artistic than really needs to be. Okay, I think that's a fair point. Like, just to jump in on this idea, I feel like that was just a way of tormenting the protagonist. Like, I'm going to give you an out, but I know you're not going to take it. And then almost as a retaliation, the protagonist wanted to take it. But then when he took it, he realized this is another ploy by my enemy just to deceive me or just mess with me or ruin my life. So I get the idea where you're saying which feels like almost unnecessary or maybe even wasteful as a scene or as a contrivance or plot mechanism. But at the same time, it's all under the guise of wanting to ruin this man however he can. Yeah, I do feel it does fit well with the plot. And, you know, as long as you suspend some disbelief, I feel they are very powerful, like, theme that they carry throughout the whole movie all the way up until the ending where, like, whether or not a person has a right to live. Um, I think those are very awesome plot points that they bring up. But I guess, like, for a psychological thriller, a more tense moment, less talking, in a way, because a lot of the talking was somewhat redundant. And maybe because we were watching it with uh, subtitles, we didn't listen it, you know, to the actual Korean. Um, so I did felt some of the subtitles felt a little awkward and unnatural, but it could be just the way it was translated. I totally agree with that. Like, sometimes meanings could be lost in translation. But I just want to bring up two really good quotes from the movie. Uh, the first one is uh, when Daisu said that if they had told me it was going to be 15 years, would it have been easier to endure? Uh, I thought that was very strong and powerful. Uh, and the second quote was um, towards the end when he said that even though I'm no better than a beast, don't I deserve the right to live? What do you guys think of just the overall script in general? I felt like it was pretty well written. 
Uh, yeah, I think that plot point was pretty cool with the whole, especially the second one, like whether or not someone has the right to live. At the very beginning, when the person committed suicide, I think it's really cool you see that be intro and then he said that line and at the end, he, the main character said that line as well. I guess in life, you wonder like, what does it even mean to be quote unquote alive? Is he alive being in a room for 15 years, being completely controlled? Is he, does he become a beast? Who is to say what things are alive or dead or what gets to be considered alive and what doesn't? Like what's living in general? That's a very interesting point that you brought up, Brian. It's almost as if it, it kind of, it doesn't directly reflect to kind of like the nine to five grind with the rat race we live in. But I see like the parallel that you're trying to put out there. That's a very interesting uh, notion. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like if you bring up the rat race, I think most of us, uh, my, I myself included, we work very, you know, office job, like Monday to Friday and go on, you know, day to day. And it's not like we're not self-aware at some point. It's just more like breaking out that norm is quite hard. And it's like in this way, while he physically lived inside a room, we metaphorically live inside a metaphorical box. The prisons of society. I guess in another way, we all have a bit of Daisu in us. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that's very true. Like, you know, a little parts of us, maybe we are like in some way animal. You know when, actually, that's a good point. You know when he was kind of like in front of a television and he was just jerking off and we were like, huh, this is a quite a weird scene, but that was actually not a wasteful scene because I'm like, in a way... He's no really much different from us, you know? <laughs> we all have our needs, like, you know, 15 years of our human touch. Like, I get it, man. I get it. Just to add you to a point about wasted scenes, I'm like, I think this whole film, there's not been a single wasted scene. Like, everything felt so fluid, and, like, everything just kind of strung together very neatly. And even, like, when there were side stories, it all built back to the main plot. So nothing felt wasted, in my opinion. I kind of have to disagree with that. For example, him and the woman, and then like, was there really a reason that he ran to the washroom if he's hypnotized? And then very, the last couple scenes in the ending, oh, you know, he meets this hypnotist who like made him fall in love with his daughter. It's just like, okay, well, I get what they're trying to add to the film, but you could have taken out the movie and I think it would have actually added more, almost giving back like on what the main points or like what they were really driving home, the psychological thriller part of the movie. I actually had that in mind too, so I'm agreeing with Brian in the part that where uh, Daisu ran into the washroom. I mean, despite the fact that like he hasn't been with a woman for 15 years, like the fact that he kind of just ran in and kind of like forced himself on her seemed a bit less believable, and also it just made me kind of despise him a little bit more. They went from him trying to force himself onto her to then becoming like a couple at the end it made it like even though they were hypnotized it made it less believable well i think the point of that is like you're not supposed to be liking these characters you're just supposed to emphasize with their feeling of revenge or their like withheld desires like you've been kept in a room for 15 years you're bound to do something really despicable or crazy right i agree with that to some degree but i do feel the characters were somewhat like one-dimensional in that way for example, the main antagonist, like his one dimension was, I in love with my sister, I blame this person for my sister's death, even though, you know, he was the one who caused it. And his whole life was just driven around that angle. But we could either take out more scenes of him, because a lot of scenes were kind of unnecessary, 
or we can add more scenes to make him more in-depth the character. And it just, like, the movie kind of went in between. A good example was, like, you know, him with the whole, like, oh, I gave him a lot of money so then you lose the arm so that I give you the arm with that whole thing. It's, like, a weird twist at the end so that they can say, like, the hotel manager is actually still on my side, not actually on your side. At the same time, like, this twist was just unnecessary, almost, like, just to shock the audience on this. It just goes back to the point. It just feels like the characters were very one-dimensional and it just lacks direction of where it's going. Not to say, like, the characters were bad, per se. It just feels like there's more that could be added. Okay, since we're shifting onto characters, let's talk about them. What did you think about uh, Daisu as a protagonist? I didn't like him, but I, I guess I could empathize in a way. I felt like Daisu was a very cookie-cutter character to begin with. If it wasn't for his quest on revenge, he'll just be, like, any, like, random 40-year-old dad who kind of, like, you know very rough around the edges, slightly obnoxious, doesn't really stand out. Yeah, fair. I feel like it was more so of an idea of like having an everyman in the position of Daisu, so you can kind of put yourself in his position a bit easier. I guess the only part that I feel is a bit unbelievable is like, how far would your lust for vengeance go after that? Would you feel tired? Or would you be like, more like Daisu? Do you really want revenge that bad? Like, this whole movie is about revenge. He wants revenge for the 15 years stolen away from him. The antagonist, he wants his revenge for having sister's suicide. But bringing actually that point up, I did feel it was very unnecessary for him to be a drunkard in the beginning. It doesn't add actually much to the movie. It just made him a little more despisable of a character. But if he was a good but negligent father, like just a very busy working man, it would have played out the same effect in the movie. Do you think that it's a possibility that this is kind of tying to like the working culture of Asian countries like Korea? Yeah, I think that makes a good point. I mean, most Asian culture in general tend to value work. When you look at China today, there's a very famous thing called the 996, where you work 9 to 9, 6 days a week, and it's considered, quote-unquote, like a good thing. At least they're trying to spin it that way. And the lack of work-life balance in Asian culture is definitely devastating to like families, relationships, and it hurts like a lot of friendships and whatnot. So I guess all you can do after work is just drink then, right? <laughs> yeah, so I just thought that it was very, very interesting just how much he lusted for revenge after all those years. As you see, like, throughout the years while he was kind of stuck in that room, he slowly evolved from being struggling to trying to get out and just struggling to ask the guards about why he's in there to just him being more docile and to the point where he was training to kind of prepare what he's going to do once he get out. Just point in case, he drew a figure of a man on his wall and he was practicing boxing moves on him and then he was just slowly carving his way out of the hotel room. Actually, now that you bring that up, I feel it's actually quite unrealistic. With the whole COVID lockdown, and I, at least, you know, we are living in Toronto, I'll be perfectly honest, a lot of, like, motivation of stuff I do outside of work has kind of died because of the whole lockdown. You know, I, it's kind of unrealistic. Somebody were like, oh, yeah, you know, given this lockdown time, I'm going to, you know, train so hard. I think if I was locked in, I'll just watch TV all day. You know, it's like, media's great. My life is, you know, there's nothing left. Uh, I'm going to come in with the opposite point. Once again, this is the lockdown time in Toronto. As someone who is cursed with even more time than you, I feel like at some level I did feel pretty apathetic and docile, and then I just got this rush of motivation to start doing stuff. I just got so damn bored, you know? So yeah, I'm watching TV, I guess, movies, stuff like that, and then I was like, I just want to run, but I can't go outside, so I guess I'll do push-ups in my bed? I don't know. 
don't forget that he can't go outside. He can't talk to anybody else. And the fact that like he is an angry man. So he is training for the day that he just beat the cow of the guy who put him in prison. So I guess you're saying that like he's quarantined like everyone else. But then he's got that resolve in him to do more because he just has nothing else to do. I did enjoy that transformation from him being that drunkard, kind of stupid person to become like a great fighter, being kind of, I guess, like a little smarter about things. And I guess he couldn't drink for 15 years. So that's that. I feel like, you know, in a way it's motivating. I should start training at home. Unrelated, but a lot of times when inmates do get sent to prison and they do get locked up for a long time, they do end up getting pretty buff from the training they do inside of prison. Does that mean if I want to get jacked, I need to get into prison? <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't. It means that you need to train consistently and eat well and sleep well. So what you're saying is go to prison, right? Is that the moral side? I feel like if I go to prison and there's nothing else to do and I just get fed, I don't have to worry about cooking. Maybe that's the way to go. Like, just lock me up, bro. <laughs> Don't forget that there is tons of motivations because you are stuck in prison and it is a very like masculine environment. It's either you eat others or you get eaten. <laughs> is that like is that like literal? Yeah, so I meant that in a figurative sense. You know how a masculine of an environment prison is? It, it there's this very strict hierarchy, right? If people see that you're weak and that you're very low on the hierarchy, they will treat you that way. And they'll, let's say, take your lunch food and they'll make you do all these like small things for them. It's as if you're the pet. I mean, I'll be honest. I think in some ways, society is a way like that too. People look at you and judge you by your cover and see like how you dress, how wealthy you are, things like your social status. And that's how they make judgment of you. And in a way, if you're like come off as weak or low social status, people treat you that way. When you walk down the streets, have you ever noticed that if the person is homeless, you kind of make a big circle around them. But like if they're a normal person, you just walk by them. Maybe you might even accidentally bump into them. I absolutely get that point. Uh, it's just that in prison, I feel like that's kind of magnified tenfold. I think... That means if that magnification, I'll just get really jacked, right? You have no choice. <laughs> I think because of the amount of choice we have in today's society, it is quite overwhelming. And it does hurt us in terms of choice. Because we're forced to make these choices, we feel almost like if something bad happens to us, it's our own fault. Maybe the, by the removal of choice, we'll be happier as people. He seemed like more happy inside a box in some way, you know? I mean, you say that, like, exercise helps with, you know, happiness and depression and stuff. So maybe he is happier after the 10-15 years in the locked in. Yeah, I mean, who's to say he was uh, not happy now that he's outside a box, well-trained versus before? You know, maybe that box is like a hyperbolic time chamber. Yeah, I mean, like, before he was drinking, smoking, making a mess of himself. And after he's so, like, determined, he's got a mission, he's, like, fit, and like, he's got all this resolve... A real man of principle. You guys sound like you want to get locked up for 15 years. I'm not saying I want to, but it's not the worst thing that could happen to me, maybe. Speaking of this whole determination stuff, let's move on to talk about how the director and the crew, how determined they were to make such a great movie at the time. 
so to start with the first scene that I really enjoyed with this movie, like is actually the teeth pulling one that really made me squeamish. I was like, oh, I can't look. Oh, this looks way too real. I almost physically felt that pain in the way. I was like, oh god, this is uh, like I, I'm I'm crying almost. Yeah, I had the same effect, but like when I was watching that, I had this huge smile. I'm like, oh my god, it's going places I don't normally see in film anymore. Like it's getting all visceral. It's getting really uncomfortable. Yeah, this is awkward, and it's really makes me wince and recoil in pain. But at the same time, like this guy's finally getting revenge. He's finally like enacting some of his vengeance. You get that revenge, I see. You pull out his teeth. It may have like been painful to watch, but I just had such a big grin on my face that he's just finally getting some form of satisfaction. You know, I totally agree, Raymond. I felt it really like said a good point because nobody liked the guy who was getting his teeth pulled out, and when he did, it was just like. I feel good watching that. I had to give it to the actor's credit. Like, I really almost felt those emotions from, like, their acting and the way they looked. Especially that scene when he got his teeth pulled or, like, other scenes. I'm like, I could see that expression on their face. And I that makes me, like, I'm just very happy with the execution of these scenes. Another scene that I kind of want to mention is the three-minute one-take fight scene in the hallway. Apparently, um... They took 17 tries to film that one scene. Yeah, that seems like absolutely incredible. We just get this long shot of Daisu just going through all these guys, beating them up, dodging these attacks, picking up knives and stuff. It's like a really visceral fight scene. It feels a lot like the Netflix Daredevil corridor fight. A lot of those martial art movies where they just have this tight space and the guys just got to get out of there. So you just really get that intense feeling. One of the biggest action movies at that time was probably the Matrix series during the 1999 era. And I think at that time, they used a lot of cuts in order to do this. Um, So, you know, props to the director for making this a one take. What's interesting is over the years, more movies are trying to do this like one take kind of thing to make it seem really cool, very fluid, have really cool choreography. And I think that's one of the things we really enjoy that scene. But at the same time, it's now become cliche in a way, right? Because so many other movies are now trying to do that same thing. I would more say it's like the new standard because no one wants to get the action cut away from them. They want to see the whole thing. And then we see all like the effort the actors put in and the crew put in to get this one perfect take. So I wouldn't say cliche because she almost has like this negative connotation to it. I would call like a standard, like what all films or at least action films should try to go for. Yeah, I do feel, I think you make good points. It's not quite cliche. I do feel it's a standard, which I think at that time would give it bonus power. But now it's like, oh, if you don't do this, it's not cool. You actually get marks deducted. I think one really cool movie recently was, I think, the 1917. Yeah. Uh, I think the whole movie was, quote unquote, taken in one shot, or it feels like it, right? And I thought that was really awesome. Very hard to do. So, you know, props to the director. But that kind of filming uh, in the past was just unthinkable to do. But now these days, like, oh, yeah, we can use the magic of CGI, put it all together, and it's really awesome to do everything in one take. I just want to fanboy more over this one scene because when they were acting out the fight scene, it was very raw and just very, like, street brawler style, right? And I thought that fitted the uh, the movie very well because it's not like an action, like a kung fu action movie, right? So if he started to do all crazy spinning kicks and wire kung fu moves that you typically see in HK Hong Kong cinema, then it would be very out of place. I like the fact that they kept it very raw and very just like dirty fighting. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that the issue of some action movies, when you look at it and you go like, 
this not very realistic. Like, I don't think anybody will do like super high kicks every single five seconds. It's just not very effective in the actual fight. And I think that's one of the credits to, for example, the one of the greatest like action films that critics really love these days is the John Wick series. Even though John Wick is like super good at fighting, they still have like a down and dirty kind of fight. He's not just doing roundhouse kicks everywhere. But one critique I do have of this film is actually the CGI. Again, I don't blame them. I don't think CGI was that good at the time. But I felt like some of the CGI stuff was not necessary. And actually ends up dating the movie. And it took away some of the experience in terms of rating it today. I think there was one scene where Midu was on the like, subway. And then she saw a gigantic cockroach. I felt like that scene could have used more clarification. I'll, I'll be fully honest. I forgot about that scene A and then B... I actually can't figure out what that's about either. I think there was this whole foreshadowing that they're both influenced in some way by the hypnotist. That's one way I interpreted it. But at the same time, it just feels like, okay, this is kind of random. It's not very memorable. If we took out that scene, what would happen, right? And I sometimes feels like less is more when it comes to these kind of movies. You think it took out these unnecessary scenes and it would just meant more, quote unquote. I just want to come in with one last thing, the execution of the film. There was this one editing choice. I think it was played for laughs, but in the overall story, I feel like it was kind of just weird. Remember when Daisu had that hammer? He was going to strike that guy in the head, freeze frame, and then there was like this little dotted line that pointed from his hammer to his head, and it was like, ding! Yeah, I get it. You're going to strike him in the head. This is played for laughs, right? Other than that, this is a weird editing choice. Yeah, I think there was some weird editing choice. I think if you look at it today, it's like, huh, it doesn't quite fit. Yeah, and I totally forgot about that scene until you mentioned it. But yeah, that was quite weird. So let's move on to our last uh, talking point, the concepts and themes and messages. So guys, what'd you get from this movie? So I think one very strong theme was the fact that like, are you able to live with the things you have done in your life? Like the wrong things you've done? I felt like that theme was there, but it wasn't very strong because the two examples, uh, the one being like, oh, he accidentally spread one rumor about this guy sleeping with his sister. And that ruined his entire life. That's a poor way to contrive that message. I feel like a better message would probably be like the consequences of actions or like the butterfly effect. Oh, this is like a small innocuous thing he did. It's not in his brain. He didn't think about it. But then it ruined that entire family and made this villain with his whole sole purpose of life from that point on was to destroy him. So the message should be like consequences of action or butterfly effect, or at least to me. What I wanted to kind of hit home was the fact that you know how the main antagonist how he slept with his sister and then people thought that she got pregnant because of the rumor that was spread and then there was a scene where he was on the bridge and then he could have saved his sister but then he didn't and then he basically spent the rest of his life trying to chase revenge onto Daisu and then the main antagonist plotted against Daisu for him to sleep with his daughter and then the main antagonist is, at the end, when he did get his revenge, he chose death, whereas Daisu chose to get hypnotized and kind of live out his life not knowing that what he did was wrong. I do feel that's a stronger message because there is a point where I feel almost this movie is showing like how revenge is not the way because I think both characters' lives end up pretty screwed up trying to chase revenge. I think if they didn't care so much, they would have lived quote-unquote better lives and probably more enjoyable lives than, you know, 
they both have pretty tragic endings because of that. It's funny that you mentioned that because I think like what you just said ties in better with the idea of a can you live with yourself as a point. The sister turns out, no, she can't live with herself for being like ridiculed, having this incestuous relationship with her brother. So she chose to die where the brother was like, I can live with myself right up until the point I get my revenge. And then I'm like, I'm done. I can't live like this anymore. On the opposite spectrum, Daisu was like, yeah, I can live with myself if I forget, probably. Uh, maybe just a little controversial, but honestly, I think with the modern theme and as well as like a lot of movies, it's bad. The incest is bad, but it's not that bad. It's like, is it enough to like cause that much drama in 20 years of hate and stuff? At some point, you got to let go and calm down, take a step back, uh, reevaluate your life. I think it really drives on the point where if you live your life over just like one specific goal... It could end up ruining you, almost like an addiction. I think in this case, in terms of the antagonist, it was more of the fact that he let his sister die that really triggered him to kill himself after he got his revenge. As opposed to Daisu, who he just slept with his daughter. I get it's bad that he slept with his own daughter, which is pretty disgusting. But he didn't know. In a way, he can't really blame himself. I think sometimes if things are out of your control and things happen, and it's bad things, you know, sometimes you just got to take a step back and just go like, you know what, life is pretty messed up. Let's try to fix it. So I did like how the main character chose to forget. It's a way of quote-unquote fixing it for himself. But at the same time, yeah, I feel like that was like one of the few points of the movie. Like, would you say this is a satisfying end for you? Like, his choice to forget? It was a good choice, I guess. Like, I think if I was in that position, I could empathize. Like, that would be the choice I would go with. But at the same time, I feel like there's not really strong themes with this movie. Uh, Overall, I actually do feel not really a take-home message. Almost like things not to do. That's what the movie's about. (laughs) But, like, learning what not to do by example. So, one thing I do want to talk about, though is I do like the idea of morality that keeps being brought up. Like, at least one theme that I felt strongly about is when was he alive? Was he alive before the box when he was just drunk all the time? Was he alive when he was in his, like, stuck in the box training, you know, watching TV? Is that being alive? Or is he alive chasing, like, revenge? And finally, the last transformation is, is he alive when he's finally a true man when the main antagonist go kills himself? Or is he alive now that he has to live in this ignorance? Ignorance is bliss. I think overall I did enjoy the ending, um, especially the part where he brought the uh, hypnotist back because she was there at the very beginning and she closed it off that way. So I really like that part of what the director chose to do with her. Honestly, I don't think it could have ended in any other way. Well, I know you guys didn't go through it, but I uh, I did for this podcast. Um, I actually read the manga this thing was based off of originally. And the ending, well, the first third of the story is roughly the same as the movie. But then after that, it becomes like a completely different story, I feel. And the ending they chose there was that, well, A, his love interest isn't his daughter. So that's that is that rabbit hole has not gone down, so it's not as weird. But B, like once his villain is defeated, the Daisu character in the manga just kind of just lives his life normally. Like, he just gets a regular-ass job and marries the girl. But the only downside is, like, 
the villain had one final act after his death where he also hypnotized the girl to kill herself once he died. Years after the fact. Just as like a final punishment. I actually think that's a cooler ending. Uh, no offense to, you know, what the director was going for. I do feel that makes almost more sense to the beginning part of the introduction or in terms of theme. I do feel the movie was shock factor more than anything. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the reason that I just really like the ending really stuck with me throughout these years was because of the time that it was released. It was almost two decades ago. And for a high school student to watch that at the time, it really kind of left a mark on me. Yeah, I think for me, uh, you know, the movie, I wouldn't say it's, you know, super like, oh my God, this is the best piece of all time I've seen. But it's not forgettable either. It's somewhere in between. I don't think it leaves as big of a mark on me, given that there are almost like more shocking television and movies now. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Brian here. Like, I only watched this movie recently, um, and I think I read for the manga to see, like, just how influential both pieces of media are, like, as separate entities and together. And honestly, if I was younger, or if this was 20 years ago, this would have left a bigger impact. But nowadays, I'm just like, eh, it's like another piece of media. It's, it's good. It's like a really good movie. And the manga's got its merits too. But at the same time, it's not as influential as I thought it would be going into this. Yeah, definitely enjoyable. But it's not like, wow, this is a must-watch or... This has been a timeless piece. I think definitely some of the plot points, some of the CGI, some of the script dialogues had dated itself in a way. And I think it just goes to show like how much society has changed even over like, I guess, 15, 20 years afterward, which doesn't seem like a very long time, but it actually has created a generation gap. Would you guys recommend this to any of your friends? I know I would. Uh, I personally think uh, maybe a very selective few friends, maybe people who actually enjoy almost like psychological thriller, mystery, uh, something with shock factor. Definitely not for most people. And to me, I don't think it's a must watch. I think there are better films now these days that would be better worth your time. But it's, at the same time, I can't discredit how good and how much I enjoy this film. Going into this film, I came in with fairly high expectations given its reputation, but as I saw it, I feel like the film failed to hit all those expectations. Not to say that it didn't hit any of them, but it didn't meet everything I've like been told about it throughout the years. So I would say this is like a hesitant recommendation for me. Like It's pretty good. It's not as good as I think people have been saying it is for the past few years. And after all this time, the things that made it so provocative and interesting have like dulled as new media has come out and reinterpreted these ideas in more interesting ways. It definitely goes to show how good media and film has gotten over the years. This movie, it was critically acclaimed at the time. I think it was remade and redone and, and shown in a very similar fashion as a movie again. I would imagine maybe it wouldn't even win awards, but it would be like, you know, received well. It's funny that you say that because as I was looking to the research side of things, this movie was actually made twice. Once by an Indian film studio, and that was done like illegally because I think they just kind of copied the script and changed a few things. I didn't watch that or follow up on the news. It kind of just had a dead end. And the other one was the American remake, which I have heard only bad things about. Oh yeah, Raymond. The uh, American remake, I have heard terrible reviews about it. Just absolutely terrible. So I would not recommend this to the audience. 
Yeah, I mean, most remakes usually tend to do quite poorly. I think there was a statistic somewhere I was reading how most remakes a movie, even a remake, quote-unquote, is objectively better in terms of script writing, cinematography, and everything, ends up scoring about one point lower because critics would basically critique it on being a remake. So if you only hit the same mark as the last movie, they will just dock marks. All right, so I guess this concludes our discussion of Old Boy. Yeah, I think so. All right, guys. So love the discussion, especially since this is our first podcast. Anyway, that's all the time we have today for Old Boy. Join us in the discussion at your favorite social media apps and at our website, www.realricepodcast.ca. Share your comments, questions, and thoughts about the films and things that we missed. See you at the next episode. See ya. Later. Thank <laughs> you.